0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, sports fans. Welcome back for another episode of Champions of Change, where each week we spotlight the women and non-binary people making a difference in the sports world, both on and off the field. Every Friday, hear how athletes, marketers, creators, and executives are breaking down barriers and changing the game forever. I'm Molly Cahillane, your host and Adweek's senior TV reporter, staying busy covering sports media, streaming, connected TV, and measurement. With new fronts and upfront season beginning, my schedule's getting pretty full, but we're also in the middle of playoffs for the NBA and the NHL. I had a story earlier this week on Warner Bros. Discovery's Stanley Cup campaign with Stranger Things star David Harper. He's a huge Rangers fan, as am I. But speaking of Warner Bros. Discovery, you might have heard that HBO Max is becoming simply Max next month. I caught up with the marketing team over there to find out why, how they picked the name, and why they headed away from their signature purple collar and dropped the HBO brand. You can read both of those stories on adweek.com and see the snarkier side of my coverage on my Twitter, at Helene. But this week we've got a great guest here with us and it actually took forever to even start recording because we were just catching up. I'm here with Julie Haddon, the CMO of the National Women's Soccer League. Julie originated this role and has been with the league since last year. So, my colleague Jason Nadi has already written a couple great profiles on Julie, which you can find. But she's got an impressive resume, including five years at the NFL and marketing positions at eBay, DreamWorks Animation, SoFi, and Twitter. But we're going to talk
1: about soccer today. Julie, thank you so much for being here. It's awesome to be here, and and to talk to you is the big uh, sports business and. Uh, sports fan nerd I know we're going to have a lot of time nerding out so this is going to be fun I'm so excited to do this
0: and I mean the last time we saw each other we were out in LA together doing a panel uh, with Julie Ehrman from ACFC Um, and I can't believe we only had 20 minutes because we really could have gone for two hours
1: yeah that went by pretty quickly I love that because we should have invited Julie the other Julie Uh, we had I think we, we have a comedy act that we can go out on the road with when we get going about soccer but that was a lot of fun it did go by pretty quickly um, I
0: would pay good money to see that comedy act. Okay, so I'm not going to make a kicked-off joke about the league's 11th season, but the thought was there. I'm really holding myself in there. But the season did begin a couple weeks ago, and there's already been some record-setting attendance. So how do you feel like the, these first few weeks of year 11 speak to the momentum of the league?
1: I am so fired up about the progress and the growth of this league. I mean, it's interesting because I joined the league in August of 2022 and it's hard because the season was kind of two months out to finish and there's not much you can impact as a marketer. So immediately when I joined, I spent a little bit of my time, probably about 20% of my time getting us through the playoffs and the championship and another 20% of my time building out the team, but the rest of it was readiness for 23. And so what was exciting was being able to kick off the season in a big historic way, building on the momentum from 22, which as you know, we uh, had our championship game in Washington DC where we had a 71% uptick in viewership on CBS. And here we were, we had a high bar. And so the momentum from 22 and opening 23 was like incredible. We had opening weekend on March 25th. We set records for biggest opening in history, 48% year after year growth. We saw our friend Julie Ehrman in Angel City sold out back to back openers, um, 22,000 over there, um, the San Diego Wave, Jill Ellis and team. Uh, they, they also had a historic moment. They had 31,000 at the opener. The Washington Spirit broke attendance with 11,000, so that was really incredible. And then we rolled right into week two in Kansas City. Followed suit. Our first CBS opener on on, um, on network. We had an opening day at the rematch of Portland against uh, the Kansas City the Kansas City Current. Again, also broke a record. So I mean, we've been pretty pumped about the opening of the season and and that momentum continuing. Julie, you came prepared with the numbers. I'm impressed. Hey, you know us, us marketing geeks gotta gotta study this stuff. You know we gotta keep it keep it real. Yeah. But it's something we think about a lot, Mal, because we're we're obviously growing this league at such an exponential pace. So this is the kind of stuff we track: is our KPIs, is just audience and fan engagement and. Ticket revenue and merch and licensing and, and all sorts of things. We track, obviously, a lot of the consumption and streaming and viewership. So we are looking at this every every weekend and every every week as we go into the following week to try to keep that bar, um, you know, performance oriented and raising it.
0: Yeah, I was out of town for the Gotham home opener, unfortunately, but I am a regular fixture at Gotham games. Um, so if anyone listening, if you see me at a Gotham FC game, come say Hi. Uh, but I'm actually really excited because I'm going to go to Angel City versus the Red Stars in Chicago um, in June. So I'm missing, actually, Gotham versus San Diego because I'll be in Chicago. But at least I get to see one of the California teams.
1: Oh, That's going to be fun. And, and as you know, I used to be an owner of the Red Stars. So obviously I'm a big fan of uh, of that club. And they've got some incredible players that are all going to be part of the World Cup this summer and a lot of the members of a lot of our league. But, but in particular, Chicago is going to be a a fun match to see Angel City. Yeah, um, And with, yeah, with, with my kind of
0: Chicago basis, I love the Red Stars. Um, I mean, I love every team in the league. I'm going to say that on the record, but I do have a soft spot for the Red Stars. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited. I've actually never been to a Red Stars home game, so it'll be really fun. Um, but
1: You're not going to sneak over to Evanston and go see if you can't, like, see if there's any kind of Northwestern action happening? Oh, you know I will. Come on. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> um, of course. Actually,
0: softball will hopefully be in action because that's the also the same weekend um, that the World Series will be happening. So hopefully, Northwestern is in Oklahoma City. Um, but I want to talk about the California teams because as we we already brought up San Diego and Angel City, but just a week or so ago there was some news. There's another team coming to the league, uh, coming to the Bay Area, and we also have the Royals coming back to Utah, um, but we already knew about that one. But that's two new teams coming in 24. So you and I have talked about the valuation of the teams before and how they're growing. But with the Bay Area team coming in, it's funded by a private equity firm and then four or five former players um, for the U.S. national team, huge superstars. It's got some major equity coming behind it. So how does that speak to the growth of the league and what are you most excited about? You also teased with me that you were gonna see the creative for the Bay Area team ah. and I if you can give me any kind of hint, I know you probably can't, but I, I have to ask.
1: Oh you're you're killing me. Of course I'd want to share it with you, but I think uh, I might get shot by our friends out in San Francisco. Uh, but it's awesome. And uh, they're, they're close on a name and a logo and a launch date. And uh, it's, it's coming together. I mean, what's exciting about the Bay Area team? And I mean, in general, just our, our franchise valuations have gone up over 20x from a few years ago, 20x. I mean, we're a challenger property, we've got a positive long term growth trajectory. Uh, and that makes us, I think, very appealing from a business standpoint. Um, the NWSL has also had an exciting product to offer. I mean, as I've said earlier, the best in the world play in this league. So on and off the pitch, there's a lot of incredible talent in this league. And what is fun about the Bay Area is obviously, I live there, so I'm, I'm biased <laughs> on that too, but Sixth Street, Alan Waxman is an incredible investor with deep experience in sports. You referenced the, uh, the players, uh, Ali Wagner, Danielle Slayton, uh, Leslie Osborne, Brandy Chastain, who's probably one of the most famous photos in women's soccer history. I, I think about that um, photo
0: like once a week.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty iconic, isn't it? And and for those listening, the shot of her with her sh- running with her shirt off in the sports bra in that '99 World Cup. I mean, that was just like this moment of pure exhilaration on the pitch. And I think it is just consistently um, rings true when everybody thinks about what an ultimate celebration would be when you're just just beyond. Fired up, and that was an incredible, incredible coup to get these four women together um, to build out what's going to be the Bay Area team named TBD, Molly. Uh, But I would say that's also exciting is not just that group, but Cheryl Sandberg's on the board and um, some incredible sports background people in the Bay Area. Um, But yeah, I mean, we've had incredible new owners that have been part of the league. I think we talked a little bit earlier about Washington, but Michelle Kang over with the Spirit, Angel City, Alexis Ohaney, and Natalie Portman, Karen Nortman, um, Utah, you referenced, you saw with San Diego, Ron Burkle, Jill Ellis, Kansas City. I mean, that is such a story. of uh, Kansas City is run by uh, Angie and Chris Long, and they founded the team. And I'm not sure if viewers know this or the listeners know this, but, I mean, these new owners of Kansas City are building a hundred and seventeen million dollar new stadium, which is going to be the first soccer stadium purpose built for an NWSL team. So, I think the expansion people are really ratcheting up the game and uh, and the ownership and bringing in new new vision and talent and experience into the league. So we couldn't be more excited about that.
0: Yeah, that soccer specific stadium is out in Kansas City, it's going to be incredible. I've seen kind of the blueprints for it. I don't know if blueprints is the right right word, but like kind of the mock-up for it. Unbelievable. Um, and then I also just want to talk a little bit about valuation. Like Julie Ehrman, our mutual friend, has said that Angel City, she wants it to be the first billion-dollar club. But if you look at just how much the league has grown and how much valuation has changed in the last few years, and you had the numbers too, but like – when, so and you mentioned Michelle Kang with um, with the spirit so that was a 31 million dollar sale yeah. And, but now we have clubs valued at like 60, 70 million and like the price of entry into the end of sale has grown and personally I think that's absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah and I mean I think again when you look at expansion with the right owners and the right markets and it's key to the future success of this league and we've got our core principles when we look at if expansion is the ownership the market, the facilities and the fee and when those fill these pillars are in alignment and our expectations are as a league we factor in our players our fans our stakeholders i mean again going back to the bay area for example you look at stanford and some of the incredible players that have come out of that you've got kelly o'hara kristen press um uh naomi germa um sophia smith like some of these incredible players that have been part of that network um at the collegiate level in Santa Clara University, I mean, it's just a hotbed of soccer. I can't believe it's taken this long to even have that.
0: Yeah, and I know people, I personally have a couple friends that are sad that a team isn't coming yet to Philly or Miami, but it's like, guys, California is the size of most countries. They can have three teams. <laughs> Look at the map. Um, and then, Julie, so... Listen, we both know it's been a rough few years for the league. For those listening, if you aren't super familiar, there was several investigations last year, one led by Sally Yates and one led by the league uh, and U.S. soccer and the Player Federation into abuse. The results were pretty horrifying. We've covered it uh, at Adweek, and we don't need to get into the actual report itself. But you joined at a really rough time. How have you navigated these scandals, and how are you repositioning the NWSL going forward?
1: Yeah, it's a a great question and a great point. And I think one of the pieces I was most um, excited about in joining was being able to partner with Commissioner Jessica Berman and for those who don't know Jessica, I mean, she's got a, a really um, impressive background as a labor lawyer for many years as the NHL, and she's fearless and she's resilient. And the most important thing that she told me when I was interviewing, uh, because I was asking her a lot around those questions, like, you know, what what is the future here in your vision? And she said, well, the first thing we're going to do is we are going to uncover the truth. We have some joint investigations that are underway, and then we're gonna implement meaningful corrective action. And the third part will be systemic reform. So what the, the work with systemic reform, it never stops. And it continues as we address the challenges, and we have to continue to earn and keep the trust of the players while we grow. But I think the biggest focus of us is creating a safe and healthy environment that our players in the league and that's our, that, that can thrive. And that's our top priority. So, you know, as we turn the corner um, and we look at what kickoff was, as we really are fourth weeks going into this weekend here from starting the season now a month in, I, I could say that our fans and our players and and our partners and our sponsors and everybody's ready for what the future of the NWSL is. And, and I, I'm really pleased to be able to be part of ushering that in.
0: Um, absolutely. And I think, Julie, what you were just saying about um, kind of the league moving forward, that's something that it's really – and systemic reform. Um, it's nice to hear that coming from the top of the league. It's something I've had conversations with with individual teams. Um, I don't know if you saw – the story I did with the red stars around their, their schedule launch or their schedule announcement. Oh,
1: of course um, the, the, the Aaron Wright in the, in the Wednesday group. Yeah. So I talked That with, was killer. It was
0: fantastic. So if, if you guys hadn't seen this, the red stars launched or announced their schedule by recreating the viral Wednesday trend from Netflix uh, entirely player led. So I actually talked with Aaron and I talked with the marketing team over how that all came together. Um, and they were really adamant that they wanted a new chapter um, and they wanted their launch in season twenty uh, season in twenty twenty three to show that, um, and that was really nice to hear from a team perspective. And now hearing it from a league perspective, because um, the Red Stars were one of the teams hit hardest by everything going on in the league. So it's it's fantastic to hear. And then Julie, you are the first CMO of the NWSL. and a couple weeks ago you launched one of I think the largest campaign the league's ever had. The we play here. Um, if you haven't seen it, fantastic spot, really enjoy it. But how did that come together
1: and kind of what was your thinking there? Well, it's funny you mentioned the red stars Mall because, um, this was actually an idea I had when I was formerly an owner of the club. So what happened was it was, I want to say July 21 and the Olympics had just happened in Japan. And I was on a call with some of the folks around the team at the Red Stars and the marketing group. And I said, you know, what are we doing to drive the fact that all these players who just played in Tokyo are coming back? And there was a lot of reasons why we couldn't do it. And none of them felt that insurmountable. Some of them were more like resources or speed or time, but I'm sitting here saying, but well, hold on. We just have the best national stage or global stage, I should say, with our national team players that play here in the US. And it's not just Chicago, it's the, it's the 11 other clubs. We should be doing this in, all around the NWSL. And um, And I talked to a couple people and it was just too late to get this done. So in my head, I had to have this idea about We Play Here for a while where I wanted to find a way to connect that truly the best in the world do play in our league. And, you know, when we look at 2023 around the corner with the World Cup coming up this summer, you know, 70 NWSL players probably roughly are going to have a reasonable chance of representing their respective countries at the 23 World Cup. And so we decided that we were going to launch a big integrated campaign that was going to be focused on building awareness and engaging our current core fans and growing new ones. And trying to help use this momentum to drive uh, kind of more commercial upside and revenue opportunities. So, um, you know, what was it called? It was called We Play Here and it was a non-traditional approach. Instead of going to a big agency, I actually wrote a fair amount of the, the script with the team. We just hired a bunch of my freelance friends from the NFL that I'd worked with and, um, and different, uh, different people around the production and creative community and kind of Banded together what became our anthem spot, which was a a 60 second commercial that featured all 12 teams. And it was voiced by four players of the NWSL. We did player first and a voice from from these four players in four languages. And, um, you know, the script is really fun. I mean, it starts out with allow us to reintroduce ourselves. We're the best in the world to do it on any stage. 12 cities, 11 deep, one team. I mean, I know it by heart. Unfortunately or fortunately, it sticks in my head (laughs) because I really love it. You know, and it starts going deep into the teams. It talks about from the waves out west to the courage on the coast, we rain, And for those listening, the waves, a team, the courage, a team, and the rain are a team. And then we go deeper. We go into we got angels, pride, spirit, and stars. Again, four new teams. So we're telling the story by using the names of the clubs, and allow us to reintroduce ourselves, which was kind of, I think, twofold. One was reminding the, the viewers and the audience that we were marketing to that we do play here, but also, the, and, and the best in the world, but introducing and reintroducing ourselves and the teams to it. And I think the part I love the most is there's a real swagger with it. It's just, it's like, you know, arm in arm, the world's best. It's not apologetic. It's bold and it's fierce. And, and I think that's exactly how our league is.
0: And I think just what came through to me in the creative is what we were talking about a little bit earlier, too, kind of almost a fresh start for them to be a sell. It's not a do-over. It's not a redo. It's a, hey, we're here. Let us reintroduce ourselves. We're in a
1: new era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And-, and I really like the challenge end of it. It's like we play here. We're ready. Are you? And and that, I think fans really responded to that. And, and I think that the players seemed to like it. We got a lot of props from the players. It was nice to be trending on Twitter for a positive reason. <laughs> and, and, and it was really it was really exciting to get the feedback in real time, um, you know, to build that trust that I referenced earlier is to, you know, have players as part of our player-centric approach and in and, and all we do.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah. And speaking of swagger, which you also brought up, so you didn't tell me about this, which we'll talk about that later, but I saw on TV this whole campaign with Nike
1: um, and the NWSL and those spots are awesome. What is that about? Oh my gosh, that is such a funny piece of, of work that uh, Nike did. So Nike's our partner and uh, love, love, love working with them. They have um, a, a tremendous amount of passion and experience and, and, and deep, deep roots and in the other kind of football Um, and what they did was they wanted to also have a bold moment to kick off the season um, knowing that this is also a world cup year and um, they did a spot called this is our beautiful game which is a 60 second anthem it was uh, created by Wyden and Kennedy and and um, it it has Jeff Tremaine who's the director of all things from jackass (laughs) and so it starts with this kind of Simple thing. You're not sure what to expect, but um, it starts with the Wheels on the Bus song that you hear as a kid. You know, the wheels on the bus go round and round. And then all of a sudden, it gets fast and fast, 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 fantastical. And up against this soundtrack, you see players like Mal Swanson, Rose Lavelle, Alex um, Morgan, Sophia Smith. They're just power kicking a ball, and it's just playing into the analogy of park the bus or that 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 trope, if you will, about how soccer you block a goal with a bus. So they're just powering through the bus. It's this fantastical melee of all sorts of 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 power and destruction about how they're taking down this bus because they're parking the bus. And, and all the while, it's playing the wheels on the bus. And it's just such a fun juxtaposition of youth and swagger and almost irony. Um, and so they just did such a good job with that. And, and what I love about it is they were shared it i mean this this ended up 350 million people on, on on posts on on instagram they um they shared it it aired on national tv during our first home opener uh on cbs it aired during the uh, world cup games this i mean the uh, the u.s national team games recently uh, past week so they've, they've just had a lot of fun and i i've heard from our friends there that it's performing well so not only is it a great piece, it's it's working well. So that's that's fun. I'm glad you liked it.
0: I saw it actually during the World Cup. Uh, not the World Cup. I almost made the same mistake too. Uh, during the yeah. national team game on, I think it was a Saturday. Um, I didn't see it during the Tuesday. I wasn't home. I was on a plane. Shocker. For those listening, I'm permanently on a plane. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and also thoughts and prayers to Mal Swanson because uh, you brought her up. Oh, Ugh, she that that knee injury looked really rough. And then I actually I went to the Cubs game the next day, and her husband was like plays for the Cubs too, Dansby, um, former Brave. But yeah, I was watching the soccer game, and then I switched to the Cubs game, and I was like, wait a minute, Dansby's up to bat. His wife is in the hospital right now, but hopefully, fingers crossed, she can recover for the Cup. But big injury. But Julie, and okay, you and I talked about this a little bit offline too, and I know you stalked my Twitter thread on it, but I am working on a story right now with my colleague Brittany. So we're looking at the role of social media in growing both at NWSL and then soccer as a global sport. So my colleague Brittany, is, she is a creativity director over in Europe, so she's been talking with people on the lionesses, so I'm looking at it from the U.S. side. But I'm curious, like, how can players help grow their own brand through um, like either becoming a creator, making content, TikTok, and how does that help the league? Oh my
1: goodness! Well, I mean, we we did a lot at the NFL a lot a lot around player first content, and and you see that just becoming such a um, an important piece of the marketing mix, and and honestly, just growing the brands of of players and athletes because this almost uh, the the real life personalities of shining through, and whoever you are, and whatever you do, special and whatever you bring as an athlete, I mean, people want to hear about that. And our athletes are influencers and our our athletes are incredible storytellers. And I mean, I think they're funny. I think they're inspirational. I think they're powerful and prolific all at the same time. I mean, there's such a diverse group of, of players that we love to follow at at the NWSL, I mean, I think one of my favorites is Sid Larue. She's hysterical. She's so good. Um, she's got over a million followers just alone on uh, on Instagram, and 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 she's hysterical. And honestly, I was just watching her the other night. Um, she, she does fun things with her son, so I could relate to that. I've got a young boy and love to play soccer with him. She was in the batting cages with him, and boy, talk about softball, Molly. She could hit. She's extraordinary. Uh, I both with her feet and her and her arms. So that was a fun one to watch. I think she's fun. Um, another one I love is Christy Mewis on TikTok. I can do my um, eyebrows better because of Christy Mewis's TikTok presence. She's so funny and talented and she's a fashion icon. I mean, she's doing these um, these these kind of dress up things where she's kind of going out and she's ready to go to a dinner and she's walking you through, you know, what the almost like a ready to wear TikTok. And she's so funny and incredibly talented in fashion. And then you've got Kelly O'Hara, who I think is one of the best players, a a great defender playing at Gotham, your team here. But, but Kelly has this thing she does um, where she does it. I think she calls it Kelly on the street and she goes out and she interviews people like man on the street, Kelly on the street. And one of my favorites ever, I've talked about this not too long ago. Um, well, it was during our championship series and she went out cuz she's part of the investor group at Just Women Sports and she went out and she was interviewing people and saying you know what do you know about what do you about about women's soccer what do you know about the championships and this one guy she said something like who's your favorite player and he said oh Kelly O'Hara and she's like the Kelly O'Hara and he's like yeah she went to my high school and it's so funny because She's actually Kelly O'Hara. And the guy didn't know it. And then she said, uh, you mean me? Anyway, just those kind of viral social moments that just build a lot of fan avidity and connectivity because these players are so creative and talented. And I think the more that they use social helps build their personalities off the pitch. Um, and certainly we help them a lot with things on the pitch. And we're using all sorts of tools around growth. We have a, a content um program called live content correspondence where we shoot video and uh, and still photography of players we upload them into greenfly and our social video growth is is going up continues to because we're supplying players with you know some great behind the scenes shot alex with her with her daughter charlie at the snapdragon game on september 17th you know behind the scenes of Mal Swanson and mallory uh, hugging after they had a competition of San Diego and Chicago back in October in the playoffs. I mean, these kind of things really help bring access because our fans uh, and our young fans, especially are so highly viral and social, Uh, you know, 46% of our fans um, social is their biggest consumption channel. So the more things we can do to work with players, to get them more involved in social and, um, and, Kind of keep continuing to support that, help support the league and raise the boat.
0: Yeah, and it's, I mean, the league themselves and the teams have great presence and the players. I mean, you talk about like Christy Muis's, I, I call them her get ready with me videos. I don't know if that's what they actually are, but she's so unintentionally funny and she just keeps stealing her girlfriend's clothes all the time. And
1: all the I'm time. like, who's more fashionable? Is it Sam or is it like Christy just stealing Sam's clothes? But, and. Well, and the funny thing is she'll be like, I'm taking this out of Bay's closet. And then you just put it on. She's like, Bay doesn't like this. So like Bay's a character and I'm not even sure Bay knows she's doing this kind of stuff. So that's what's so funny. But I'm telling you, like she wears so much Zara. I would not be surprised if she could go make a deal with some of these brands. I mean, she truly is incredible taste in fashion. And I agree with you, Molly. I think that, what do you call it? The get ready? Get ready ready with me. There you go. There's your, there's all the marketers listening. Should go, go check out Christy Mewis and find a way to sponsor her.
0: (laughs) I mean, I have a Christy Mewis jersey, so I'm slightly biased, but that's, that's off the record. Okay. I'm not biased at all.
1: (laughs) We all love the the, the number one team I love is ratings. That's what I think about. (laughs) That's what I used to say at the NFL. What's your favorite team? It was always ratings. Let's go for ratings.
0: Wait, so, I want to talk about the NFL too and just kind of your experience. And I mean, we talked about it a little earlier, but my colleague Jason Nottie's done a phenomenal profile on you, so we don't need to go fully into it. But you've had this whole past. So, you were at the NFL, Twitter, all these different companies. Um, what, first of all, what did you learn from the NFL in terms of bringing to another professional sports league? And then, secondly, Twitter, you were there in like 2008 when it had less than a million users. So, that's a very much startup environment, and you're I don't want to call the NWSL a startup because it's not. But it's a newer league. So what have you learned from kind of both of those experiences that you're bringing into your current
1: role? Well, I mean, NFL was so much fun. I mean, it is truly the biggest league in 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 the world and 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 they are Nobody knows fan avidity and fandom like NFL. But on the other side of football, which was something I got to learn from, you know, the world of startup is combining the experience of being at such a broad scale property um, that has such global impact like the NFL. And then the first half of my career working in some early stage startups. I mean, we're talking early, early when I was helping Twitter. I want to say it was maybe less than a million users. I think we had about 870,000 users and early, early, same thing. Um, SoFi, we were just going to market and now they're global billion dollar plus brands. So, I mean, I think what happens is when you work in a startup, You get the skill of like how you can be resilient and you're constantly optimizing, constantly trying new things, being okay with with failure, being okay to say, I'm going to spend some money if it means I'm going to lose it, but I'm going to learn something. And literally like optimizing your your career because you have to pivot, pivot, pivot. So there's no playbook. Um, That's what I think really prepared me most for the NWSL was there's no playbook because Um, you know, I had to figure out what we would do at Twitter in 2008 and what we did at SoFi in 2012, what we did at the NFL in 2016. And here we are. What's new is kind of combining these two chapters of tech and big sports where or startup, I should say, in big sports in 2022 and saying, how are we going to figure out what the future of the NWSL is? So Uh what I love is You know, we also know big fan avidity from NFL, but there's also big, big fan avidity from NWSL. And because we are smaller and scrappier and younger and 10 years, 11 years old versus 100 plus years old, we're able to try a bunch of new things. And, you know, we don't have to um, be so rooted in any kind of tradition. Um, But what we can do is we could build the future that we want this to be, I mean, one of my favorite sayings is, do not go where the path may lead, go ahead and leave a trail and others will follow. Or it's, it's something I believe strongly. in. it's like, we don't have to follow anybody. We can build our future and leave that trail.
0: I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that one to heart and I'm going to sit with that for a minute. But Julie, something that I have talked about a lot with, um, executives on your level and just other marketers. So Sports are really – they – okay, so there's a statistic out there, right, that 90% of women in the C-suite level played sports, mostly at the collegiate level. You did too. You played softball at Indiana. And if you if you guys haven't listened to last week's episode, that's with Sherry Kempf, who's the director of softball at Athletes Unlimited. Um, she's also a fantastic softball player. I play softball. I've got my bats over here in the background. I know Julie and I were joking about that a little earlier. But what was your experience as an athlete like? And how do you think that translated into your career and what you're doing now?
1: I love that question, Molly. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing I could go by and that stat you referenced, I actually think that might have been something that Ernst and & Young and Beth Brook worked yes, on. Yes, it was an Ernst & Young study for a couple of years Okay, ago. So, so the irony is that study became the beginning of what was the NFL Women's Summit, where we did an event um, off of some of the research that was about you become a better executive in the boardroom. And I have to tell you, I, I really take that to heart because I think as an athlete and I played, I mean, I played Little League when it was 150 boys and I was the number one draft pick. I ditched my bat mitzvah at 13 to play a doubleheader when I had, you know, tons of people in our backyard dressed in fancy clothes I had to pitch because it was against Baskin Robbins (laughs) and I was fierce about wanting to win that match. And it was a doubleheader and who got to play pitch, not just one game, but two. So like, I grew up with that mindset of being an athlete and I think when you have that mindset as a kid, and I really love that about sports. All my children play sports, not because of me, but because they love it. And I believe it teaches you things about yourself that prepare you for later in your life as an executive: um, resilience, being okay with losing, um, you know, tenacity, focus, discipline, and humility. So I really believe that those are some of the attributes that help make me a better executive and um, I believe it or not, when I'm interviewing candidates and I'll see that somebody, there was somebody who's an excellent, excellent marketer that I hired at the NFL for the 100th anniversary um, campaign and she played field hockey and I didn't know her at all. She came referred from a friend. Other than that, I just went through her resume, all great qualifications, but what drew me into calling her was when I saw that she had played um, as, and was a captain of a Division I Big Ten school for field hockey. And I think that that's just sort of what gives you, you know, sports become a platform and a lifetime of skills come from learning these um, these things that stay with you your whole life later.
0: Oh Well, I'm secretly curious which Big Ten school she went to,
1: but... <laughs> Michigan. we ah, will okay. not forget that. It was not Northwestern, Molly, and it was definitely not my alma mater, but... We won't, we won't um, you know, give her slack for that. She's still there. She's excellent. She
0: kept it in the Big Ten. Um, but, no, that's great to hear. And I mean, I didn't play a D1 sports, but I was captain of the equestrian team in college. I think this might be the first time I've outed myself as a horse girl on the podcast. But I was captain of the equestrian team, and I did play intramural softball. Um, wish I was athletic enough to play D1, but... Something I've talked about a lot is that sports are something that kind of translate through the rest of your life and it doesn't have to be like a super high contact sport, whether it's tennis, golf, swimming, just it's, I don't know. I feel like sports are almost their own kind of universal language and teach you all these different leaderships. I'm I'm waxing poetic now and I'm just going to stop talking before I embarrass myself.
1: I'm with you though. I believe me I, I hear you and and I think that there is something you see it as teamwork comes together as you managing team as you manage teams and you get organizational alignment you really do see how people want to share the ball or 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 pass it and not to be cliché but I really do see a difference on teams that I've led and been a part of with athletes.
0: For sure. And then, Julie, we can talk forever, and I really do want to, but I know that we both have a lot to do, so I'm going to let you go soon, but I've got one more question for you. You, I mean, I know you, and I know that you go out of your way to be an advocate and an ally and elevate people around you, but how can other people do that? How can people best be an ally to the women and non-binary folks who are working in sports?
1: Well, you know... I, I think I'm going to borrow something that Andrea Brimmer from Ally said because it really stuck with me when I listened to the podcast, but I, I don't think there's any other way to say this. Um, support women's sports. Watch a game. Tune in. Attend. Purchase. This is something that I think can help, um, you know, really support and have a difference and make make change happen and, and support the growth of, of the leagues that are – doing this, whether it's tennis or whether it's Athletes Unlimited, whether it's the WNBA, whether it's the NWSL, um, and, and a whole host of other places at the collegiate level. I mean, the ratings are growing. You saw 9.9 million people watching the NCAA Women's Final Four. And what a fantastic match that was. There's just so much good sport athletes content out there. And I would say be part of change. Be part of it. And with nearly a million people watching
0: the NWSL championship in October, it's only going to go up from here.
1: Oh, you know, I like my numbers, Molly. I'll have to, I'll have to hold you to that. Please but I'm excited. Do.
0: All right. Well, Julie, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and for everyone listening, if there is an NWL team in your market, go to a game. You absolutely will not regret it. And then please tune in next week when we move on over to a different kind of football. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Champions of Change, Shattering Ceilings in Sports, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Amanda Sickler, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heal, and edited by Lane McGivney at Outwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, shoot us an email at podcast at adweek.com.